Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne. And I'm Brooke Wayne. We want to talk to you today about a topic that we have never discussed before, and that is how to find a good church. We hear this frequently from people who we meet in our travels around the country at conferences and people we talk to on social media that they really are struggling with finding a good, solid biblical church. And so we wanted to talk today about what some of the characteristics of a healthy church look like and maybe provide some practical tips regarding how to go about that process. So my first question really would be, why is it necessary to be part of a local church? That's a great question. I think the most obvious answer is because the scripture commands it. You know, when you think about Christianity in the context of the book of Acts and also in the epistles that were written by the disciples, the apostles who were followers of Christ, they all take place in the context of believers gathering together and worshiping together and having community together as part of a local assembly. And there really is no New Testament Christianity that is expressed that does not take place in the context of a biblical local church. And so in the early church days, in the first century, you had churches that met in different places. Sometimes they would meet in the temple or they'd meet in a public place. Uh, Sometimes they would meet in homes. Um, Later on, they ended up meeting in the catacombs when persecution hit because they had to literally go underground and hide. But they always believed in the importance of the church for not just fellowship, but for the teaching of the scripture, for discipleship, for communion, uh, for uh, church discipline, for accountability. Um, They recognized that these were things that Uh, They were commanded to do by God in Scripture. Most of our listeners would be familiar with the passage in Hebrews 10.25 that often gets used when discussing this topic, where we are told not to neglect the meeting together or assembling together as the body, as is the habit of some, but instead we're supposed to exhort or encourage one another, and we're supposed to do it all the more as we see the day drawing near. And uh, there's another passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 3.13, where we're told that we should encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of us will be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I think that passage has a a real warning there, uh, because I think what it shows is that when we're isolated, when we are away from fellowship, um, there's a possibility for our hearts to become hardened and we become desensitized to sin and just worldliness, when we just live in the context of the world and we don't have uh, fellowship, we don't have accountability, we are not constantly sitting under uh, the hearing of the proclamation of the word, um, we tend to 
adapt and conform to the things of this world. And so uh, we're told to gather together. Now, the early church got together a lot more than once a week. You know, we tend to think of the church as being a just a once a week Sunday morning kind of activity, or maybe twice a week if you have a evening service or a small group or something. But the early church found ways to get together far more than that. So mm-hmm. they had corporate times of formal worship, if you want to call it that, where they would get together and everyone would bring a psalm or a hymn or spiritual song or word of encouragement, and people would come and they would participate together. Uh, in more structured formal meetings, but then they also broke bread together in their homes. They shared meals together uh, in each other's homes, and they had fellowship outside the context of just the Sunday meeting. And and that's really what the Scripture would anticipate as being the normal pattern for us as uh, believers today. So I think the number one reason why we should value the church and seek to be participants in a church is because Scripture provides no other context for Christianity except that, and we're specifically commanded by God in Hebrews 10.25, and I think also in 3.13, to to gather together, to assemble together, and to be part of um, a local body. Now, some people use the argument, well, I'm friends with other Christians, and we get together, and we have barbecues, or we go to right out to Denny's for breakfast. They're still or doing something. fellowship, and so they would say. So we're still being the church. Yeah, um, I would say maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I would say that um, while that is a part of what a local church does, that they get together and they share fellowship, um, there is far more to the local church than just fellowship. And I think that's where um, some of these arguments have come out that. Like, uh, allegedly, Steve Zuckerberg was talking about how Facebook is changing the landscape to where communities that used to be held in things like local churches are now being replaced by social media. Right. And uh, we see that. We yeah. see that happening. I mean, I'm part of uh, some Facebook groups and, and admin some, and I see that literally the function uh, of the church is being lost to Facebook. People go to Facebook with their questions on marriage and family problems and parenting mm-hmm. questions and sin questions and all that, and they, they basically throw questions out there to anonymous people that they don't know and they're not in real-life relationship with and get an opinion poll on what they should do about everything. And it's a very different dynamic than what we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, this has only been in the last decade I mean, the last 15 years probably at the max that we've had this kind of a situation where people people's communities are completely online right. and, and their social context is online. So what people have argued is they've said, well, this is the same as a church because we're fellowshipping right. online and that's what a church is and that's what a church does and we encourage each other and we meet each other's needs and you know, which, I mean, that's very superficial, but... Maybe it's viewing church as mostly fellowship, though, and then in place to get advice. Is that what you're looking at? I mean, I'm seeing some big dynamics that are missing from true church life that would not even be possible with, say, a Facebook group. What are some of those dynamics that come to uh, your mind? Well, discipleship, I think, would be the biggest one. And definitely there's avenues that that can happen, um, but... I mean, somebody might claim that they're 
in some ways, uh, receiving discipleship through our podcast. Sure. Or, you know, you could call it mentorship or godly counsel. But many times the missing factor on Facebook is that it's all virtual. It's it's not somebody who sees you in real life, who's knowing your family over a course of time and being able to really discern who you are and what your life situation is to then be able to give godly input. And you also don't know them. So when you're asking them to give advice on your marriage struggles, you have no idea what their marriage is like. You have no idea mm-hmm. whether they're qualified to speak to your situation. Um, so what I would say is when you think about um, the irreducible complexity of a church, for example, um, there are some components. And, and when I use that term, I'm, I'm borrowing a term that uh, Michael Behe, who I think was a molecular biologist uh, created that term probably 20 years ago um, to discuss mechanisms that require uh, a core essential group of parts to all be functioning and working at the same time right. and that it can't function without that. Like a bicycle, for example, um, you have to have a frame and you have to have wheels and you have to have a chain. Mm-hmm. And if you remove any one of those, those are all irreducibly complex components of a bicycle. It <laughs> and pedals are helpful too, right? <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't work anymore. Exactly. And uh, the same thing like with a mousetrap. You have to have the base. Um, you have to have the, the spring. You have to have the, the metal rod that's, that snaps. You, know, you have to have all these components. And if you take one away, you no longer have a mousetrap. Right. And so the church has some of those components that I think are the irreducible complexity of a church. Uh, a guy th- that uh, I was um, interviewed by on a podcast just recently told me about a website that I hadn't really been familiar with, and it's called Nine Marks. And um, there's a website you can go to. I would encourage you to go to uh, the number nine, M-A-R-K-S, ninemarks.org forward slash about. Because on that page, they actually give nine components of what they see uh, as being marks of a healthy church. And uh, they talk about those things. And I would like to go through them here and discuss them. This website was developed by a guy named Mark Deaver, who is a Christian author and uh, has, has given a lot of thought to these issues. And so I thought we would go through and look at them. Um, the first mark of a healthy church that they have listed is preaching. The proclamation of the Word of God. That was something that we see in the early church. Uh, it was something that the Apostle Paul uh, told um, Timothy to preach the Word. Um, we are uh, commanded in Scripture that this is supposed to be a part of what the early church uh, did and what we're to do today. Um, one of the things that uh, I've become rather biased toward, and this is not a biblical absolute, but I'll just share this when we're thinking about this component of preaching, is um, what's called expository verse-by-verse Bible teaching. And what I love about expository Bible teaching is that you literally take a book, say the book of Luke, and you just go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and mm-hmm. you just go through that book. And then you, maybe the next book that you would study would be Romans or Ephesians. But you basically go systematically through the Bible verse by verse. So you're reading and commenting and, and 
and providing context from other scriptures and drawing in other scriptures that parallel. And You're not just missing over huge parts of scripture. Yeah, it allows method. you to actually teach the scripture. So the mm-hmm. people in the church are learning the word of God. Um, I know sometimes uh, churches just focus on topics, and there's a place for that. I'm not against topical teaching. Scripture doesn't condemn topical teaching. Um, I I think there there's a great value in topical teaching. Topical teaching actually is what I do as a conference speaker. Uh, I don't do verse-by-verse expository teaching. I do topical teaching sure. um, and applying Scripture to various issues. So um, it's okay to have a series on family life, a series on finances, a series on worship, what worship is, and those things are good, and it helps us understand a topic. The problem with it is twofold. Number one, some pastors just sort of get on their hobby horse, and they have their main doctrinal distinctives or you know, their pet theological uh, biases, I guess. And so, you know, let's say that their big thing is eschatology, end times. And so they may just go off on end times for six months, <laughs> and you know, you're getting all their opinions and all their views, and they're pulling from all over the Bible ver- a verse from uh, Matthew 24 and a verse from Daniel and some verses from Revelation, and they're throwing it all together and you know, presenting a, a presentation of what they view as the correct view of eschatology. Right. The problem with that, though, is oftentimes um, you're not really getting a fully orbed understanding of the whole of Scripture. Sure. Like, you just ignore certain books. When I was growing up in some of the churches that I attended, there were books of the Bible we just never opened. We never read as a church. Um, In fact, a couple of the uh, denominations I was in, I I don't think uh, I had ever gone through 1 John until I was like, 17 years old and went through it myself because no church that I'd ever been a part of had ever studied First John. And so when I read it for myself, I'd heard verses from it here and there, cherry-picked. Um, you know, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, I'd heard verses like that, but out of context. So you don't get a good overview of the Bible with topical teaching. Uh, in most cases. And you also have the ability as a preacher to do what's called eisegesis rather than exegesis. Exegesis is where you study the passage in its context and you understand what what it means by what it says. Um, Eisegesis is where you have a predetermined idea of what you think is the correct theological view and you cherry-pick scriptures Hmm. that support your bias. And eisegesis, I would suggest, is an extremely poor way to go about doing Bible teaching, but it it lends itself to topical Bible teaching. So, not here to trash talk topical Bible teachers as being um, ungodly or, you know, violating scripture in some way, uh, or or even that they're not great Bible teachers, because I know many who are, and I enjoy and learn from topical sermons mm-hmm. and, and studies myself. Me, me too. Um, so there's value in it, but uh, I, I think there's great value also in expository verse-by-verse Bible teaching. And there are some churches that uh, lean that way. Uh, for example, um, the Southern Baptist Churches, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, 
uh, under the leadership of Albert Muller is starting to lean more that way. And so more and more of their teachers that are coming out of SBC in more recent years um, are kind of have a bias toward that expository verse-by-verse teaching. Hmm. Um, you have uh, guys like uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, for example, very famous British um, pastor at uh, Westminster, I believe. And he, he really was famous for promoting that that style of preaching. Um, Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel. Um, you know, Calvary chapels are known for that verse-by-verse Bible teaching. Some of the uh, more Reformed churches are. So there are churches out there that that kind of lean toward expository teaching. And um, so that's something to consider as you're looking at the aspect of teaching. So the first one is preaching. You're supposed to preach uh, the whole counsel of God uh, in its context. The second point is biblical theology, that the Bible uh, actually teaches on all areas of life, and it applies to all areas of life. And so we want to know what the Bible has to say about everything. And so the essential components of biblical theology are one that you should look at uh, in a church, that the entire Bible is the Word of God and that uh, it is all profitable and useful for um, teaching and correction and and rebuke and the other uh, aspects that Paul tells us in Timothy's and in the epistle to Timothy that it's used for. And so um, the, the aspect of biblical theology is essential. The gospel... The gospel has to be proclaimed uh, accurately. And and one of the things we've noticed is that a lot of the modern evangelical churches have gotten so far off of even understanding what the gospel is. And maybe we could do a podcast on that at some point, on what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. But unfortunately, so many evangelical churches have turned the gospel into that you need to pray a sinner's prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and that is the gospel. Or or worse yet, with every eye shut, every head bowed, slip up your hand in the air. Right. <laughs> and that is not what the Bible says the gospel is. Um, the gospel is more comprehensive uh, than that. And, uh, you know, it, it includes, let me just read to you um, what's on this non-Marks site under this category. And it says, the good news is that the one and only God, who is holy, made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn from their sin and trust in him. And there are scripture verses that are given on each of these points. He rose again, from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God, and he's gathering one new people to himself among all who submit to Christ as Lord. And so there's more on the website about what the gospel is, but I would strongly encourage you, um, go to wayofthemaster.org and uh, check out um, some of Ray Comfort's information on how to present the gospel and what the gospel is. And also Paul Washer. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go on YouTube and search for Paul Washer and what is the gospel. Um, I don't know of anybody today that explains the gospel more clearly 
than Paul Washer does. I highly recommend um, his material. Um, conversion. And this is the fact that if you uh, really are, uh, if you understand the gospel and you really are a Christian, that there is a change that's mm-hmm. taken place, that you are given new birth and you turn from your sin and you, you repent before God and you endeavor to walk in holiness with the Holy Spirit empowering you. And uh, you are given the power by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. And so this issue of conversion is one that is so important. Many churches today sort of have a come-as-you-are, stay-as-you-are mentality with no expectation of spiritual growth, of right. discipleship, of, of uh, really growing and maturing in your faith. They just sort of have this, hey, once you've said the sinner's prayer, um, you're saved, that's all there is to it, signed, sealed, and delivered on your way to heaven. And uh, they don't have this... Um, understanding that someone who has truly been born again will be experiencing a changed life, and there mm-hmm. will be fruit of that. Um, we're not talking about necessarily sinless perfection, where someone never sins again as long as they live you know, once they come to Christ, but we're talking about um, a, a genuine transformation of their heart inclination. Mm-hmm. and uh, Some the, evidence. Some evidence of change. Fruit, the Scripture calls it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that they... Their inclinations change. Their desires change. They they love the Lord. They love the things of the Lord. Um, and they increasingly hate their sin, and they hate the things that are opposed to God's law and God's nature. And so, that's important. Evangelism. Um, there are churches, uh, especially some of the mainline denominational churches, who really don't promote evangelism. It's not a part of their... Um, mission, I guess. They're more involved in social justice, um, trying to give money to the poor or give food and clothes to the poor. And uh, certainly um, there's some merit to uh, those kinds of things. But the, the focus of the church as a corporate body is primarily that they are supposed to make disciples. Right. That's the purpose of the church. It's not to do social work. So perhaps another podcast that we could do in the future would be on that topic of what a biblical theology of charity would look like. Um, that's one that a lot of Christians are very confused about, uh, but we'll have to save that for another day. Uh, but evangelism is an important aspect of the work of the church, and uh, we are to train believers to know how to go out and effectively share their faith. And so that discipleship process of uh, godly men teaching godly men how to teach godly men, and godly older women teaching older women or teaching younger women how to teach younger women. Uh, that process is how the church replicates. It's how it per- reproduces. It's how it grows uh, over time. And so um, that's a huge part of the ministry of the church is having a focus on uh, sharing the gospel and presenting very clearly uh, what the true gospel looks like. The next uh, one on their list at the uh, Nine Marks website is uh, membership. Hmm. And that's an interesting topic. We were actually part of a church for about seven years that uh, it's not a denomination, but it's there's an affiliation, a network of churches. And uh, they did not practice membership. They sort of felt like um, it was better to have 
people not feel threatened with uh, this sense of exclusivity, I suppose, or or even just, um, you know, a lot of people come from different church backgrounds, and some of the church backgrounds, uh, they may have been in a situation where they experienced abusive church leadership. Mm -hmm. And so the aspect of becoming a member of a church and therefore having accountability and all that to the church leadership is something that could definitely create some hesitation on their part. And so the posture of this uh, church and, and this affiliation and network of churches was that um, you could be as much a part as you wanted to be. So if you wanted to come during the week, um, that's great. And, or come during, the, you know, come once a week to a service, that's great. Um, if you wanted to get more plugged in and be involved in more things in the church, that's great. But if you just decided not to go for a while, they weren't going to hunt you down. Mm-hmm. You know? And maybe some of the aspect of not having membership was a bit of taking away the the old 1950s, say, era status symbol that membership was. Um, you know, I felt like many, um, much of the aspect that was given with this church in not choosing to have membership, a membership status, was that discipleship would come and flow through the relationships that were built. So if you were investing yourself in part of those relationships, if an era ever came in your life where you needed, say, church oversight, uh, as far as a rebuke even, that it would be given more through the relationship status, not as a formal church uh, move. And yet, that's one of the reasons I do appreciate other churches that offer membership Realizing more that that membership status, so if you will, kind of um, is a, a sign for the person saying, yes, I am open to uh, discipline, church discipline as necessary. And that is the next point that they talk about is the issue of discipline. And these two are really linked so closely together that they can't be extracted in a sense because it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, for a church to exercise church discipline, which is required by Scripture and talked about uh, in different places, including Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, it's impossible for a church to do that if they don't have membership. At least in our day and age, right? It's very difficult, at mm-hmm. least. I mean, I shouldn't say impossible in every circumstance, but it would be very difficult because the person who is approached by the church leadership could always say, well, you can't talk to me this way. You can't tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not a part of your church. I'm not a member here. You don't have any authority over me. And so a lot of churches that have memberships, they basically make you sign a paper saying, I realize that as a member of this church, I am accountable to the church leadership Mm -hmm. and that I'm willing to submit to church authority and uh, will submit to church discipline if that becomes relevant. Most churches um, are not heavy-handed in terms of how they implement church discipline. They save it primarily for the things that Scripture would require, which is uh, flagrant, unrepentant uh, continuation in open sin, Um, or I suppose even flagrant Mm -hmm. uh, refusal to abandon private sin. Sure. Um, But... But where, you know, they've been confronted with their sin and they basically say, look, I don't care. Um, I don't have any intention of changing my patterns and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, in those cases, it is imperative that the church exercises church discipline. And if that person refuses to repent of their sin, they refuse to turn from their practice of sin, 
then they would need to be excluded from the fellowship. They would need to be put out, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. So the early church had a distinction of people who were a part of the church and people who were not a part of the church. Mm -hmm. And there are many cases today where you could have people who are attending but um, who are not part of the fellowship and uh, would not be offered the Lord's table, for example. In fact, they would be warned against participating in the Lord's table because they are not uh, submitted to Christ and are not submitted to um, His Lordship as is, is it expressed as it is expressed through the body of Christ. You know, it's interesting. Um, we quote the verse a lot that says, "Where two or three are gathered in My name, there am I in the midst." And people have used that to defend the fact that two or three of us can be out in the backyard having a barbecue. We can call that church. Or two or three of us can gather on Facebook, and that can be church too. But the context of that verse in Matthew 18 is actually talking about church discipline. And it's not saying that God puts his stamp of approval on you know every, uh, every group that meets together and calls itself a church. But what he's saying is that when the true, confessing, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing church of the Lord Jesus Christ has met and adjudicated on a matter, uh, i.e. church discipline, which is what Matthew 18 is about, Jesus is saying, I am there with you in the midst of you. And the Apostle Paul kind of refers to that in 1 Corinthians 5 as well, where he says to put out this immoral person from among you. And he says, I've already adjudicated this, and I'm with you in spirit. And so when you meet, when you gather, hand this person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh with the intent that his soul would be redeemed, that he would come to repentance. You know, it's not a mean-spirited thing of we don't like you, we don't want you in our group. It's an opportunity for this person to experience what it's like to be outside of fellowship, uh, to be outside of communion. And it says, then you treat this person like they're an unbeliever, and and you don't fellowship with them. You don't even eat with them. You don't, you don't even go out to, to have dinner with them. Again, please read these passages. Read Matthew 18 and read uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and, and, and chapter 6 as well, uh, 1 Corinthians, because they give context to this. So thank you for letting us share on this topic of church. Uh, we have a second broadcast that we're going to be doing, and so we want to encourage you to uh, listen to our next podcast where we'll go into more detail on this. I encourage you, if you're interested in uh, Bible study, to check out two books that I've written, Questions God Asks, Unlocking the Wisdom of Eternity, and Questions Jesus Asks, where divinity meets humanity. These are topical Bible studies, questions God asks going through the Old Testament and questions Jesus asks going through the New Testament. These topical Bible studies are great for your own personal daily devotions or uh, as a family read aloud. You could do this as a supplement to family worship. They also make great group studies. If you're part of a small group in a church, I encourage you to check those out. You can find them at our website, familyrenewal.org. If you're not on our email list, we would encourage you to do that as well. You can sign up at familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe. We send out one email update a month, and we also then can let you know whenever we are in your area. Um, You can also join our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash familyrenewal. And I'm I'm at family, uh, sorry, facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne 
author. You can also look me up on Twitter. Um, you can that's at, at Israel Wayne, and uh, I'm also on Pinterest. And you can look up Family Renewal on Instagram. So uh, lots of ways to connect with us via social media, and we hope that you will continue to listen to us here on this uh, podcast, uh, the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Thank you for listening.